0: I think there's a lot of overlap between the product manager role and the design role. I mean, there's certainly a lot of things that PMs do that designers do not. And there's a lot of, for many, there's a lot of technical knowledge and a lot of knowledge about data and, and all kinds of things that design often doesn't have to take into account. But I think, I mean, certainly designers are, many are transitioning to that to that role because it does give them more power over the product, over the roadmap.
1: Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode I talk with Dan Suffer, during Interaction 20 by IXDA in Milan, where both of us gave a talk. Dan did wear many hats during his career, currently working with AI and machine learning as a senior staff product designer at Twitter, San Francisco, shaping the onboard experience. He's is also author of four influential design books, including Designing Devices, Designing Gestural Interfaces, Designing of Interaction, and the book Micro Interactions. In the description of the episode, you're going to find the link to the books. Besides being a very influential designer, he was also the VP of product at Mayfield Robotics, creative director at J-Bone and Smart Design. We talk about the intersection of design and product management roles, how design influences product strategy and of course robotics. Key challenges when designing robotic products from scratch and where he thinks the space is going. I absolutely enjoyed the conversation and find Dan's perspective super inspiring. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'm here with Dan. Hi, Dan. You are senior staff product designer at Twitter, and then in the past did various things from being a VP of product at Myfield Robotics, creative director at J Bone, and then working at you know, Smart Design and Adaptive Path. But then also co-founding your own ventures, for example, with the Kicker Studio. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. The The long journey of of different experiences uh, in design and it's been interesting because you saw design from a lot of different lenses right from being responsible for the whole product then being working in-house but also consultancy so i think it's going to be uh, very interesting
0: thanks great to be here thanks for having me yeah my whole career which as you say is long and long and varied i've been chasing a lot of new technologies and Sometimes those technologies are coming up, you know, in the agency world because technology companies just were trying to figure out what to do. And then sometimes they've been in-house where in-house is kind of the best to explore those things. So my, my role is, yeah, has definitely shifted around from in-house to agency and back again. And it's, it's, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. Maybe can you talk a little bit about, in your own
1: words, a little bit about your journey and your motivation also being in the creative field,
0: being a, in the design field? Sure. I, I mean, I got, I got started because I was working at a book publisher and was interested in the web and found myself kind of transitioning to the web. And from there, after a couple of years of working in various roles, mostly in kind of the producer project manager kind of roles. I started to really say like, well, I I really want to drift towards design. That's kind of what I'm, what I'm feeling, the kind of creative side of making products. And so I went back to school at, at Carnegie Mellon and then have been working as a designer ever since. And it, yeah, I mean the, the combination of, you know, not only design and, and The books that I write and those kinds of things are all creatively kind of tied up together. Mm -hmm. And so I find it a satisfying career for someone who's interested in things like problem solving and and thinking about the future and science fiction. And my dad, my dad is a plumber and my mother is a therapist. And sometimes I see my job as the combination of those two things, you know, putting the, putting the pipe work together. So
1: I think what's, you know, very interesting is, you already mentioned it, the the work, the chance to work on some really forward thinking projects and really contribute there from a design perspective. And since you're also writing books and, you know, being an author there, I was wondering what is the impact and outcome you want to drive for your work
0: moving forward? So right now I work on Twitter's onboarding team and the onboarding team's job is to get new users to the right content and, and other, other people that, that they would be interested in. And so one of the, one of the technologies that we're using to to try to do that are these really interesting, complex oftentimes inscrutable, at least to be machine learning and AI type algorithms. And so one of the things that I think that all designers are going to be wrestling with is how do we make, how do we, how do we take these things that, that are very inhuman by their very nature and make them into things that more, more human. So I, I work with these really great engineers and, and, and programmers and like, Working with them and to tweak the algorithms to make them make them feel human or seem more human or more interesting or more weird, even, I think is, is something that, that is a really interesting part of my job right now. And I think it's really going to be part of all of our jobs in the next 10 years, maybe forever, now that these systems are starting to be in place. How do we take these large systems of of, of computational power and, and start to apply them, but keep the kind of human world that we, that we really want, that we really want and really need and, and, and keep the world, you know, designed for us and, and the other living beings in it.
1: Yeah, I think you know the, the aspect of onboarding of a product so is a very interesting touch point. I got the chance also in my role to explore this uh, in recent time a little bit uh, because you know if you reduce friction, you could really drive change, right? And if you make this a pleasant experience, and I think, I mean, you could see so many bad examples of applications out there, and some that really strive exactly through that touch point by really making this a pleasant experience, making it playful, and. I mean, it's also driving very much the experience you have in a in a in a product or service because depending on how many questions you maybe ask, me, what kind of data you request, you're going to shape the experience, especially the experience in the beginning of that product or service. So it's such a crucial crucial touch point, right?
0: No, absolutely. How you how you set things up in the beginning and and connecting people to the topics or people that that would be interesting to them, especially in a, a product that's frankly as complex as Twitter and has so many different use cases. And, you know, and if you do it right, you know, you set them up for like an, an amazing time. And Twitter is just know, an amazing one of a kind product that, you know, is very difficult to replicate, very difficult, you know, to, to have any kind of similar experience elsewhere. Than you can get on Twitter and, but getting people into that is just, is, is a really difficult challenge. Cause you know, I like to joke that, Hey, it's almost like an, it's like a, almost like an enterprise tool, but for the whole world, you know? So how do we make it, how do we make it great for people? And yeah. And, and all the, Then, you know, the new things that my other teammates are coming up with eventually drift down to onboarding because I have to like we have to introduce them to people. We have to say like, hey, oh, this this is here's this new thing, you know, that's you know, that's in your timeline. And now, you know, this is how you deal with that or, or work with that. When you say onboarding
1: do you also obviously you mean onboarding of the applications but then also how about first time use of certain features is that also part of
0: Exactly so we're we're trying to extend our our charter so that yeah so that the tools that we use when onboarding a new user we're also going to be using for for existing users going forward so that as as we introduce new features we can use the same kinds of tools and kinds of prompts that we do for new users for, you know, people who are experienced. And so that, and that's a, that's a, that's a new thing for us and something that we're, we're really looking forward to expanding our mandate
1: yeah how much do you have the need to work with a branding and communication when it comes to onboarding because I mean if you shape the onboard experience you are like you, you also want to maybe influence a little bit the tonality when it comes to just the first impression of the, the whole product and, and, and service so I, I assume this is a interesting intersection there all right
0: yeah well the, um, I mean the the very beginning of any any user experience, I think, is kind of the marketing of it, right? I mean, the, the, when once you get the awareness that something is there, yeah, you're, it sets the tone for what to, ex- you know, it sets expectations, really, like, oh, this is what this thing is for. We do work with our brand, our, our partners in brand, and there's some interesting stuff happening there that I can't divulge right now, but their work is definitely touching ours and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. I think what's also interesting
1: about your experience is you also, obviously you have a a large design background, but then at my field robotics, you were basically in charge of the, the whole product, right? So I think this is also interesting shift because there are not so many PMs with, you know, coming from design. And I think there's more and more coming in that direction, but it's, it's not, not so many examples yet. So I wonder a little bit about your personal experience with this and, you know, what it enabled you.
0: That was a great role in that. And one that you can really probably only really do on a fairly small team where, yeah, I, I wore both hats as kind of the head of product and the head of design and so that's that was a great role in that I was able to do both design and product and kind of be the head of head of both you know and it only really works on a small team but it was great in that I was able to kind of wear you know wear both hats and switch them as necessary so I would say oh is this a product problem or is this a design problem or vice versa and try to solve problems that way. It really gave me a wide latitude for things like the roadmap, like being able to say like, oh, okay, these are the these are the features that we're going to need. How do we start to design them and in what order? And so it was a really great role. I mean, gave me a lot of respect for what the kinds of product management that happens at at Twitter is is a much more sophisticated one than the one that I was doing. But I was also, I I was getting my hands dirty and things like warranties and sales price of uh, price of sale and you know battery life and those kinds of things that were really really cool really fascinating you know like oh quite a, a steep learning curve for me but it was really great to have that experience
1: mm-hmm. do you think there should be more pms with um, a design background Absolutely. I mean,
0: I, I think I think there's a lot of overlap between the product manager role and the design role. I mean, there's certainly a lot of things that PMs do that designers do not. And there's a lot of for many, there's a lot of technical knowledge and a lot of knowledge about data and and all kinds of things that design often doesn't have to take into account. But I think I mean certainly designers are many are transitioning to that. To that role because it does give them more power over the product, over the roadmap. We have a great PM at Twitter, Eleanor Harding, who was a designer and transitioned into being a PM, and now she runs the TweetDeck product that we have. And yeah, I think it's a great it's a great role if you can move into it.
1: What were um, some of your other learnings working on robotics and AI at MyField robotics? The
0: uh, I mean, a one of the things that I learned is just, you know, how how challenging robots are. I mean, it's someone that we were talking to about manufacturing was like, hey, you know, robots are pretty much the hardest thing you can you can build. And so understanding, yeah, just all the complexities that go into it and things that you don't really even think of, like, you know, what what height of of a door jam can the robot go over what sounds you know how loud is the robot like you know we would rent airbnbs and run the robot around and 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 test with a, you know, with, with, with sound meters to see like how loud is this thing and be like, okay, it's gotta be quieter. You gotta be, you know, so there's a lot of nuance like that. A lot of, when you have something that moves around a 3d space, it's just a very different kind of experience. And even then even something that you, you know, hold in your hand or something that sits on a shelf or something like that. It's just a very Challenging, but fascinating and really fun. And just, yeah, when you see these things, you know, moving around moving around a space and just kind of rolling around. And, and because the, the curries were so cute, it was like, especially when you had a couple of them or, or running around, it was really fun. And then so, but yeah, I mean, you know, it is a, it's not a, it's not a nascent space in that there's tons of robots doing stuff right now. It's just in it but it's a space that's definitely growing and the technology and, you know, navigation and all that kind of stuff is just things that are exponentially getting better. And so I think that it's a field that's gonna that's right now kind of at least in the consumer space is kind of fallow, but I think in the next you know five to ten years it'll be it'll pick up again and be really exciting,
1: yeah, yeah, I think it's interesting what you point out about the complexity it's not just the, the hardware complexity right the complexity about You know, uh, the manufacturing, everything, but then also about the interaction, right? The scenarios are unlimited, right? And it's like, you have to sort of like pick kind of what are the scenarios you focus on what kind of interactions you want to solve. And then still, like, if you narrow it down and go for a certain niche, the, the way these interactions could play out. And I can imagine it's like so complex. Right. And then also again, onboarding, right? Like teaching the user, like how. Is that interaction working right because people are not used to it there's no legacy of this
0: yeah i mean yeah i mean talk about onboarding i mean yeah we had we had a lot of discussions around like how you know how do you introduce the robot to your house and how do you introduce it to of you know, the people living in the house and even down to, you know, the unboxing, you know, one of the options was kind of the robot lying down. But we didn't want that because it was like, oh, it looks like the robot's in like a coffin or something like that. So when, when we had packaging, we made it so that the robot is actually standing up in the package and you kind of lift it. Out of the package. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in an ideal situation, like you would, you know, unbox it and the robot would roll out. But that is a very challenging thing to make sure that it has enough power to do that and, and all kinds of things. But, but yeah, you really have to think about those kinds of things. And, and yeah, the whole service that wraps around a robot, things like, you know, when you buy it and how you turn this, how you turn the service on. And then how you, how are you controlling it? Is it voice? Is it touch? Is it gesture? Is it all of those things? Usually that stuff is really fascinating, but you know, all of it adds complexity. And then you have this kind of emotional layer that lives on top of it too. Like, does the robot, you know, respond when, It gets to stairs and is scared of falling down them, you know. So we had a when when it got to stairs, it would kind of like look around and like he and like back up, and so stuff like that which is the stuff that you're really buying the robot for is that kind of personality that kind of thing is is just another kind of layer especially if if it can't respond exactly at the moment like it's you know cuz sometimes these robots have to you know think for for a few seconds and that's like how do you indicate even that like oh hold on i'm thinking about this like you know stuff like that is really you have to always be signaling intentionality with robots like this is i i'm in, i'm intentionally doing this i'm not just i'm not just sitting here staring into space kind mm-hmm. of thing
1: yeah i think there's you know so interesting you know there was a talk yesterday about also ai and how do you deal with you know if you're unable to deliver or you're not sure if the answer is correct right and want to maybe phrase it differently right and i think the aspect of humor i think is important and i could also see that you know when i look at the robot that the way it also the industry design i guess there was some thinking also around like how do the robot has to appear maybe it can't deal with certain situation and maybe the appearance could help people also you know deal with this and say well we don't mind and we still love
0: the robot right Right, exactly exactly yeah i mean yeah we had there was a lot of discussion around like like what happens when the robot just doesn't understand the the command you know like it's you know it it's really trying to listen and trying to understand, like a voice command, for instance. And, you know, when does it give up and just like shake its head and like put its head down and be like, I'm sorry, I just can't do, you know, I just can't do this. I don't know what you're asking me. We also had ideas around like if you asked it things that because it didn't speak, it didn't speak human language it spoke yeah. kind of a robotic kind of beeps and whistles but if you asked it questions that it couldn't answer or do that it would reply in robot language you know it, it kind of and so like it would try to answer and try to be helpful you just couldn't understand what they answer you know because if you're like uh, you know oh hey curry what's you know what's the weather today it can't really say like oh it's rainy but it would be like boop, boop, you know like yeah yeah And then be like, oh, right, I can't I can't ask you those kinds of questions. I mean, it was hopefully a a process of education like, hey, I can't I can't do the. You know, oh, right. There's a limit to what you know and can tell me.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting when when I think you guys have worked. On it there was not so many infrastructure you could build on right i think you know these days with robotics i think you were pointing out i think it will pick up later again and the the point might be where there's more infrastructure for startups and you know companies to strive on because if you look at also how mobile experiences, sort of the evolution of mobile experiences, nowadays there's so much infrastructure, right? To, perf- to create applications, to create solutions. And this is not really there with the complexity of robots yet, right? There's no frameworks you could easily build on. You, you basically have to you know, pull it all together yourself. And I think this is so challenging with robotic startups.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I keep, you know, I, I, th- I think of 19... 19- 78 or mobile phones were in 1996 or something like that, where they're, they're in use. They're in a lot of specific areas. They're in a lot of industrial use, but right. There's, there's not a lot of frameworks. There's, you know, it's hard to build apps on top of them. There's, you know, the, the parts are, I mean, you can, you can buy like, Oh, here's a, here's a LIDAR thing off the shelf but it's not easy you know it's you really have to like know what you're doing and putting it all together into into something that works is something yeah is is a challenge like it they're all bespoke basically and yeah we're just not there yet but I mean we're also seeing a lot of really interesting things around you know machine learning where we're starting able to like not having to do as much like programming but do more tr- you know training like mm-hmm. oh this is how this is how you pour a cup of tea watch me do it four times and then you you know yeah, and yeah. then the robot can do it so we're starting to see a lot of stuff like that that's like oh wow this is this is a game changer
1: machine learning frameworks basically right basically yeah, yeah. you could you could build on right uh, it's very much in i think an engineering problem in a way or like a t- a technical restrictions right and that also limit what you could do from a design side and the interaction side but maybe this is sort of the the core right yeah i mean you know
0: like like everything you've got a design platform you're designing on top of you know engineering platforms and the constraints of those are are design can you know become design constraints like oh you can't you just can't do that (laughs) you know like oh how do you you know Getting something, you know, getting a robot that can walk upstairs. Well, you you can buy that right now. It's just really expensive or you know really clunky. So there's you know stuff like that. That's just like okay, I guess we're gonna we're gonna go with the wheels for now. And then you know, and then the wheels have their own issues. Like what if they you know. Do they get tangled? Can you replace them? What if they, you know, your dog has an accident in the house and the robot runs over it? Like, you know, how do you clean the wheels? You know, there's all kinds of... Everything has its own trade-offs, I guess. And and yeah, it's, it's a maturing field.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think one... Maybe quite robust. The robotic field is maybe
1: the the topic road yeah. It's like the the topic about vacuum cleaners, right? I mean, they are really oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah the vacuum cleaner. Yeah yeah, 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 vacuum cleaner really. You know, it's a field of robotics in a way where it, it really you know f- found use for a lot of people already, and uh, it's maybe some of the the first signs of where this could go. And I think it's interesting. A lot. Of, I mean, there are a lot of Chinese startups also doing really great stuff there. And if you look at the iterations of products, some of the the vacuum Cleaners, i noticed that every evolution they do they get so much better also with yeah. the data they gather so i mean if you look at what google can do these days because they have all these data and are in the game early and you know build up these data assets i think there you know could something there could be something similar i think on a robotic side i mean because you learn with every product and the more products you deliver the better your your data set gets so
0: oh, right i mean absolutely i mean the iRobot stuff is great because yeah they're starting to you know before they had no mechanism to collect all that data and now that all the all the Roombas are wired you know and so they're able to now share data and now you know all all the Roombas are getting better right because of shared data and Yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting. Yeah. People, people have asked me like, oh, you know, and have asked me things like, oh, do you think that there's going to be like one, one robot that will like do everything in your house? Like, oh, it's going to mow the lawn. It's going to come in and mop your floor. It's going to vacuum. It's going to clean the, and I just, I find that a very improbable, I think that yes, some, some places will have, you know, that kind of android like manservant but i i feel like the robots for specific tasks like roombas or ones for (laughs) ones for bathroom ones for you know i think those are those are probably the way that that things are going just you know i mean hey my my outside snowblower robot doesn't need to come in and clean my floors you know so i think that yeah i things rather than a single single robot that will do it all
1: yeah yeah, I think that's something a lot of people, a lot of times people get, get wrong, right? I think if you look at it, it's, it's sort of an evolution of home appliances, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, robotics slowly get the introduction into home appliances and it's, you know, you could almost say it's an evolution of that, right? So you, you had vacuum cleaners before, but now they're robotic, right? They will have robotic aspects introduced. So I think it's, it's super interesting how I mean, this transition goes slowly, but steady. And yeah, maybe, you know, looking at the broader you know, spectrum, of you know interaction design since we're here at interaction uh 20 in milan where do you see interaction design going and uh, maybe some of the challenges uh, moving forward and some of the important topics that will arise
0: yeah i mean i think you know since it is at least in the u.s it's an election year and so i think i think we're gonna see i think right now we're, we're seeing just a lot of a lot of discussion around security and misinformation and privacy and, you know, and, and data collection, and how we use that. And, you know, is there legislation around that? I mean, we've already seen, you know, GDPR here in, in Europe, and that's spreading to the US and and elsewhere. And so what are those kinds of protections that are that are coming that we're going to have to not only I think, you know, design around, but It would be great if we were part of those conversations around policy, like what are we, what are we keeping and how, because there are things that, that simply are better because we know more about you. And we may have to say like, oh, some of those things are kept encrypted on your object versus, you know, in the cloud and making those kinds of, making those kinds of of arguments and decisions. I, I hope that designers are involved in. And then there's, yeah, you know, so there's all kind of the, like, policy, complexity, wicked problem side of things that I think we're involved in. I guess I'll, I'll call that kind of an umbrella of, like, governance. And then there's, you know, then there's interesting things like, you know, I think AR is is another big area that that is going to be big and really interesting. Certainly the rise of more intelligent appliances, as we were saying, you know, and, and voice continues to get more and more sophisticated voice UIs. trend you know, all the translation stuff is becoming amazing right now with the ability to just switch between, you know, from you know, English to Spanish really, you know, really easily. So I think there's there's a bunch of stuff coming in that realm. And then yeah, I mean those are those are the big ones. And then yeah, obviously robotics, which we've talked a lot about, I think is another burgeoning field that that is just over the horizon for us but yeah there's there's so much this it feels like there's like an overwhelming amount of (laughs) an overwhelming amount of you know problems to tackle and and stuff to do and yeah i i don't see us being replaced by by robots you know next year (laughs) thankfully not yet not yet One day. Yeah.
1: Okay. I think we need to wrap it up because of time, but yeah, thank you so much for for sharing all these insights. It's
0: been amazing. Oh, sure. Thanks. Glad uh, glad to be here. Hope hope it was uh, interesting. For sure.
1: That was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.